Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 96 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Rear, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Baumhofer. How are you doing tonight, Ben? I am doing pretty good, and I'm here, and I am excited to talk about some Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, we've got some we've got some good topics to talk about tonight. Uh, one I've been wanting to talk about for a little while, because it is very relevant to all you DMs who are wanting to start making your own adventures. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the other one is uh, requested actually to, to talk about um, Furbolgs. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go over that as well. Uh, But first we wanted to just dive right in tonight uh, and we're going to take a little bit of time to talk about crafting a one shot. And of course, a lot of the stuff we talk about, you can kind of extrapolate and then turn into something bigger if you want to make something beyond uh, a small adventure or a one shot. Uh, But we thought we'd kind of go through and give you some tips and tricks, some of the stuff that we use in creating uh, an actual one shot for you to run or for you to publish uh, or otherwise play with your players. So let's dive right in to that uh, first off. So you want to make a one shot. Yes, I do. Maybe maybe uh, you're between camp big campaigns. Maybe uh, you're between modules that have been published and or you've just finished a, a module and you want to make something kind of like that for yourself or for other people, uh, but you don't know exactly where to start. So first thing you want to do is start with a concept, an idea. It, it sounds it sounds kind of like a no brainer, right? But you you really want something fully formed as far as this idea is a self-contained story. This is something that I can throw players into. It doesn't necessarily need a ton of backstory. It doesn't necessarily need a ton of explanation at the get-go. But it's something that you can just start with. It's very easy to latch onto. It has a good hook. And it has uh, something that will draw your players in. And especially for one shots, uh, this it, it kind of gets a little more nebulous if you're you're making your own larger adventure. But especially for one shots, you want clear direction from point A to point B. Now, how players get to from point A to point B may be more varied or mm-hmm. may have multiple options. But you want a a defined starting point and a defined ending point for a one shot. Exactly. Um, and it's funny enough because, you know, we both wrote down notes for this episode and everything. And you had, you know, start with a concept or idea. And I have uh, basically build from the finale. Like think of your your final set piece. What kind of thing do you want it to be? You know, this would be your concept. You know, what what's kind of going on? Like you essentially need a problem to be solved. Once you figure that out, then you can start building back from there. So, um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, 
the 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 problem is that um a, a town is being overrun or you know attacked by goblins and they need help you know it's it's okay we know what's going on we know that we're going to have some sort of final encounter with either a goblin king or a whole bunch of, uh, of goblins like in the forest or something along those lines now let's build back from there figure out you know possible ways to get the the party to it possible ways of getting them started on the adventure and you know just kind of have a, a couple rough ideas and you know build it from there with just enough stories so that's you know, you have your, your kind of hook for the adventure. And then depending on which way they go, you have a bunch of various paths that you can just kind of fill in the blanks with, um, as they're, you know, discovering the, the little bits of story that you have created along the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so in doing so, once you have your main concept or idea, the next, uh, the next piece is to determine your link. Mm -hmm. Uh, is this something that you want to span multiple sessions? I mean, obviously when we talk about one shot, normally that refers to something that I can pull this out and in two to four hours I can run this, right? Uh, one shots can also vary a little bit like that may end up meaning this is a two or three session thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, once you get beyond that, you kind of graduate to like mini adventure. <laughs> uh, but but normally for a one shot, you will want to shoot for that two to four hour mark, because that's usually what you have a lot of time as uh, a get together that that's on average a, a normal gaming session is uh, that uh, I, I believe D&D Beyond did a survey at one point uh, where they talked about it a little bit. And uh, that two to four-ish hour period was uh, one of the most popular like time periods of mm -hmm. what would you consider an average session, right? So yeah. whenever, I, whenever I think of a one-shot, that's kind of in my mind what I start designing things for. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then, you know, once you have that idea, it's like, okay, we we have our final encounter that, you know, in theory, that's where we want to end this. If we want it to be within, you know, two to four hours or so, it's like figured that whole encounter is going to be hour, hour and a half. And then, you know, kind of build back from there and and uh, kind of like how we, we've spoken before about one shots, but it's more of, of, you know, bringing someone in, you know, making a quick one shot, you know, just throwing things together super fast. Well, this one, if you're really trying to determine time you need to start looking at also your players as well. If they're brand new players, then to learn the systems and kind of, you know, guide them along to know what they can do. It's going to take a lot longer than, you know, seasoned players. Um, for instance, I, I did a one shot with my parents and my sister and, and nevermore, you know, a, a few years back, I, I think I talked about it on the show, like forever ago, it was my, my parents first time playing it took them a while to kind of get used to the, to everything. And we ended up only, uh, or I ended up scrapping the, the, the last half of the entire one shot because the first half of it took a lot longer as they were kind of learning, the, learning things, what the dice rolls were, what they meant. And then when we jumped into our first combat, it took a lot longer to, you know, kind of go through and explain. And these were like, you know, level two characters. So they didn't really have a ton of different options to choose from for different things. So 
uh, compare that to the the uh, one shot I did when you visited. You know, we were able to just kind of jump right in. It was a real quick, clean three, maybe four hour session. All the players were well versed in D and D, and were able to have higher level characters and just jump in, know what they're doing, and you know, fly through the thing. So knowing the audience really makes a big difference in how you're going to be playing this. That that's, that's completely, completely true. Um, and that's honestly something you have to decide too. Are you writing a one shot for a specific audience or are you writing a one shot for a general audience? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Cause that can, that can kind of uh, change how, how you design your one shot, but let's, let's just consider we're we're designing this for general use, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've decided on our concept. We have a defined starting point. Let's just, I I'm going to use, I'm going to use, for example, uh, the one shot that I made, uh, quite a while ago. And I have run probably like 10 times now <laughs> for, for various groups. And I've even had a few other people take, my notes and run it themselves, um, which is, which has been pretty cool. But uh, my one shot takes place in a small farming town. Uh, There is, um, it starts with the hook of something is been killing the local wild wildlife, the local Mm -hmm. uh, uh, farm animals and such. And uh, the town is getting scared that people are next, right? And so you, as you and your party, as a band of mercenaries, have been hired to basically check this out and go hunt down, stop, capture, whatever it is that has been murdering these livestock, right? So... From that, there's your clearly defined start point. I have I have this small farming town. The objective, something is murdering livestock. Find it. The um, kind of that that's kind of the hook. And then there's also the piece, and this is fairly important for one shots too. Why are your party? Why is your party together? Or why would you know each other? Mm-hmm. Because for one shots, especially it's much, much harder to have just random characters thrown together. There's, there are ways to do it. Say like, if you're running a one shot, um, you've all been thrown in prison and you're going to be sacrificed at the arena, right? That could be kind of a cool one shot. That's a, that's a one shot where the characters don't necessarily have to know each other because they basically just get thrown into a fight of survival for their lives. Yeah. The force camaraderie in there. Yeah. Force camaraderie. Exactly. But there'll be a lot of situations where that won't be the case. So it's not a bad idea for you to provide a reason for the party to be together or already have known each other, because that can take a lot of that initial like intro stuff out of the way so you can just get right into the the meat and potatoes 
of this adventure. Mm -hmm, exactly. And I mean, there's a bunch of different, like super simple ways to do it, which is, you know, they're part of an adventuring guild. So they, they've traveled together and adventured before. This is especially good if you're starting it at like a higher level instead of, you know, like the first three or so, you know, it gives reason why they would have abilities and, and access to things before. Um, there's the, Hey, you're traveling together and, you know, ended up fighting some kobolds that attacked the, the caravan. Uh, you're pulling into town. Now you are going to the bar together to get some drinks, to celebrate a successful trip or something along those lines. You know, um, the, <laughs> then there's always the, everybody just starts in the bar and then something happens to bring them together, which, you know, the, the total cliche, but it's possible that you could do that too. And I mean, th there's uh, tons of different ways that you can do this. Some of them are really easy to do and are a lot easier to like, kind of just, you know, yada, yada, throwing everybody together. Yeah, that's right. Um, one of the other things you want to do very early on, especially while you're uh, deciding on your concept and your length is decide on your level range, right? Uh, because your level range is going to help determine a lot of things. Mm -hmm. If you're running a higher level one shot, chances are it's going to be a little bit on the longer side than potentially a, you know, level one, two, three, uh, one shot. Um, so make sure you build that in or kind of have that concept and idea from the start of what level range do I want this to be for? Because then that dictates that uh, can dictate a lot of um, potentially the map. Uh, it can dictate a lot of the options players might have, be it spells or abilities. Um, and then, of course, it will help dictate the encounters uh, and the encounter building that you do later on. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's so that's a, a fairly big thing that you want to figure out early on. Once you've got that done, uh, outline your main story beats. You've got your overarching plot. You've got your point A. You've got your point B. You want to come up with maybe a few. Um, maybe some of them can be alternating. Like if players do this, they go here. If players do this, they go here. Regardless of what you do, you want all things to lead to point B, mm -hmm. right? Um, so outline, outline your, your story beats. Uh, usually for a one shot, two or three story beats is good. You have your start, you hit, uh, you hit one, two, three, and then you hit your point B, your ending. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's a good way. And again, it's a one shot. Your party should be bought into this. And this is something you set the expectation of. This is going to be, you know, railroady. There's, there's, uh, <laughs> there's invisible walls around this and you don't have to say that necessarily, but basically <laughs> the concept is there is invisible walls in this region. You've plucked this chunk of land out, set it down into one shot land, and you've got the invisible walls around the outside where stuff might not mm -hmm. exist past this boundary or whatever, because that's, that's not the one shot. And so because of that, you want to make sure your party is bought in and set the expectations of this is the story. We're all going to play along 
with this. We're not going to necessarily try to break it. We're not going to necessarily run off the beaten path. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, then that being make said, sure that you can get to the end. On top of that, if you are a player in any sort of game, your goal is not to break the game. At a certain point, you do have to realize that we're all here to play a game together. This is the adventure. This is the hook. Sometimes you got to take it. Sometimes, if it doesn't seem interesting, then communicate it with your DM after the session. Anyways, just had to throw that out there because, yeah, it it should be. If the players are there, they should want to be able to to have the adventure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so get your you got your your main little plot points. You got your point A and B. Uh, now you start to fill in your map, and this doesn't have to be super detailed. Uh, but depending on where this takes place, you'll want to have the general area mapped out. You may want to have if it's like a town, you may want to. Uh, make up a town name and a few a few hot spots or a few landmarks in a different spot. Uh, la- landmarks honestly is a very good word for this. Mm-hmm. Each of the each of the uh, your plot points has a landmark most likely. So that is what you make. That is what you flesh out. You don't need to flesh out the world. You don't even need to necessarily flesh out the entire area that this one shot takes place in. What you want to do is do a little bit of fleshing out of the main hubs where your plot points uh, will be directing the players so that they have something to do there so that you can describe what makes these special so that you know um, how to answer the player's questions with what does this look like or where's this area or what can I do here? And then you can go, oh, you are in uh, the town of Dulcing. Uh, You can, uh, there's a shop, there's an inn, and there's uh, a library. Because those things are the things that have value to the one shot that Mm -hmm. you are running. So you highlight them so that your players know, okay, these are the important things about this town. These are what... I want to worry about, and I don't necessarily need to worry about doing anything else. Yeah. Cause I mean, if we go back to uh livestock are being killed and, and stolen, um, the shop would be, Hey, it's a granary. This is where a lot of the farmers go. They, they swap stories to talk about the livestock being taken. Um, you, you talk about the inn. you're going to need a place to stay in inns and especially in fantasy games, there's usually a bar or a tavern connected to it in some way. So there's a lot of, you know, scuttlebutt or talk that can happen there. You can gain information that way. And then on top of that, the library, you know what? One of the librarians was investigating these disappearances and they found some footprints and they were trying to find uh, something that would match up in one of the, these, these hunting books or something, you know, you're able to just pick your locations, build off of there and, you could only have it so that, you know, the players go to one of those places and that'll satisfy their requirement of information to move on to the next one. But it gives them a choice, even though you're still kind of forcing them into those pathways. Yeah, it gives variety. And a lot of times you'll want to, especially if you plan on running it again, adding variety built into the one shot can really add to that variety and give 
say that either the same party replayability, if they want to try it again, or uh, allow for different stories to come out of different groups, even though it's the same one shot, right? Yeah. Uh, so that it gives you variety too, um, just as far, just make sure you, you don't, you don't have to go overboard with it. Exactly. You don't have to go overboard with it. Uh, a few choices is fine. Uh, it's easier for you to remember and it's easier for you to write. Um, so once you have your, your areas, your landmarks mapped out, um, it's time to map out the encounters. Mm -hmm. uh, usually the encounters will take place within those uh, mapped out areas, within those uh, landmarks, be they social or combat. Um, because remember, not every encounter has to be combat. Um, some encounters may uh, be able to be both, mm -hmm. potentially, either social or, or combat. Um, while you start thinking about your combat or social encounters, just your encounters in general, uh, it's also a good idea, especially if you are doing D&D &D, uh, specifically, to figure out your timetable. Is this something that is going to take place in a day, this one shot? Or is this something that may happen over the course of several days? And this is important because this will determine whether the party gets a long rest or not. And mm -hmm. long rests are very important because they do recover resources in long rests. Some classes, of course, recover resources, some amount of resources in short rests. Uh, but that's that's a little bit of a different thing. We're talking about, you know, recovering everything, being back at peak power, uh, all your HP and stuff. And this can uh, be something that is very good to figure out because let's say you run a level 10 or a level 15 one shot. There might not be near as much uh, near as much incentive to have to stretch something out over a period of days or such because they have so many resources and they can spread them out over the course of that that whole big day or that whole big moment or whatever. Mm -hmm. Whereas a level one, two, three party has a lot less resources and can go through a lot of stuff in one fight because there's just not a lot of stuff available. So you have to kind of think about think about it. so like for my thing specifically i have one long rest built in to the adventure basically you have the investigation you have the uh encounter with the beast that uh defines and then you go back you collect your reward and then there's a tavern scene and you overhear uh something bigger going on as the you're talking and drinking, the mayor talks about it. You overhear something else going on. Uh, you see a shady figure slipping out that you can um, follow or not. And then the mayor will, regardless, uh, ask you to guard uh, the shipment and, and will pay you extra uh, that is going out because the, some of their shipments have been getting ambushed. Uh, and so then depending on whether you followed the guy or not or caught him or overheard stuff uh, that may give you a leg up in the final encounter of the story. But this is a level three one shot. And so 
that thing happens the next day. Mm -hmm. That way, from the encounter you had with the beast and then any potential and usage of resources you use following the guy or whatever, you're able to then recover and get your stuff back. Because again, level two, three characters don't have a ton of resources to use. And so I wanted to build in a long rest into that so that I could make uh, more interesting encounters rather than having to water them down a lot because, oh, these people might be at half health or they've only had a short rest and or, you know, there's only three or four spell slots available to, to my casters or something. So just as you're putting this together, that's a very important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And on that note, too, again, this kind of goes back to who's going to be playing as well. Um, if you are running again with newer people who don't know, uh, you know, spell slot management or, you know, what abilities actually come back between a short or a long rest or something, being able to give that information kind of beforehand so they know what to expect will also help with that. Uh, yeah. So uh, agreed. Agreed. Once you have an idea of, you know, what sort of multiple encounters you're going to have, where you're going to go with it, then you get to the point where you have kind of your roadmap and everything kind of planned out. You have your environment set up. Um, then, you know, think of a couple, you know, notable NPCs that you can kind of throw in there as well. So, again, we have our places of, of interest, but make sure that you have someone that they can talk to or who they can overhear or something, you know, Um make them more distinct than just the general, you know, background population of, of everybody else in the tavern, whether it's uh, the bartender or, you know, a couple of the patrons sitting at one of the tables over there, you know, give them identities, give them, you know, like kind of the, the, the basic three of like, you know, what do they want? What do they want to hide? What are they fearful of? Or something like that. You know, the, the, the really quick character building kind of arc or ideas. Um, and then, you know, based off of that, you can kind of give an idea of how they would react to, um, you know, the, the approach that the characters come in, you're able to have their personalities kind of figured out, have that all set up so that, you know, that if the characters come in all brazen and brash and we're the heroes, we're going to save your town, you know, Jimbo over there will be skeptical because he's seen the beast and he knows that, you know, it's, it's a, a harrowing thing. It took four of his cattle alone in one night and, you know, there's no way that they can do it versus, um, you know, the little kid who sees, you know, a, a, a paladin walking in with armor and that that's what they want to be when they grow up and they're going to cheer them. I don't know why they're doing what they're doing in a tavern, but they're, they're still there and they're going to, uh, you know, treat them differently than, than everything. This will again, kind of give a little bit more life to just this small one shot that you're putting together and gives it more of a distinct taste and flavor. And again, for replayability, you have a few, you know, notable NBCs that you can encounter through various different playthroughs as well. Yeah, I think it's I think that's a, a fantastic idea. Um uh that to to make sure you have some notable because then you can have them prepared, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's you can pull to be uh your get back on track NPC as well. Uh, if the players need extra help or um, anything like that. Mm -hmm. So you've got those, you've got your landmarks, you have uh, an idea of what you want your encounters to be. Uh, then you have to figure out uh, most likely you'll have uh, usually one to three 
combat encounters or potential combat encounters in a in a one shot. Um, and again, that can vary a little bit depending on um, depending on uh, like how many long rests, like what your target time length is. Uh, but we also have to keep in mind uh, <laughs> combat can take a while. Like even even smaller encounters can take 30 minutes or so. So you'll make sure you want to budget your time. And a small encounter may take 30 minutes and a larger encounter may take an hour. So keep that in mind as you're designing your one shot as well. So like mine has two uh, with a potential mini third it's got the the beast you fight at the beginning it's got the potential one uh if you if things get violent with the the thug who sneaks out and then it's got uh the bandit ambush at the end right and so you kind of kind of time those out from a balance perspective there's a few different things you can do um you can use something online like uh, Cobalt Fight Club. You can use the D&D Beyond Encounter Builder. Uh, those are great to use as guidelines to start your stuff. Emphasis uh, there's a on bunch guidelines. Guidelines, yes. There's a bunch of different. Uh, there's a bunch of different monsters that you can use. Uh, as we've said before, we highly recommend if you need to or if you can't find one that fits exactly, find a stat block that is close and reskin it. Uh, maybe changing damage type, uh, maybe changing resistances, uh, obviously changing look and feel and description um, for for whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, but that is a, that's a very easy thing to do uh, without having to customize the stat block to yourself if you can't find exactly what you're looking for um, to do that. Uh, I believe it is Sly Flourish who made this as well. Um, and it's a monster CR to player cheat sheet. Uh, and I'll send this over to Ben so that he can kind of put a link uh, or an image on the show notes in deandiscussions.com. But essentially what it is, is it's a little bit more uh, guidelines as well, because a lot of times the encounter math that Wizards has currently starts to kind of break down a little bit after level five. Um, so the recommendation for them is for characters of first level, if the creatures CR zero to one fourth, you do one monster per character. If it's CR one half, you do one monster per two characters. And if it's CR one, you do one monster per four characters. That's for first level. Uh, for characters of second to fourth level, uh, the CR equals uh, one tenth of the character's level, uh, two monsters per character, a fourth of the level, one monster per character, and half the level, one monster per two characters. And if the CR is equal to their level, one monster per four. And then it starts scaling up. That's when the normal math starts to break for characters of fifth to 20th level. Uh, if it's one tenth of their level, four monsters per character. If it's a fourth of their level, two monsters per character. It's half their level, one monster per character. If it's three fourths of their level, one monster per two characters. And then if it's the level plus three, one monster per four characters. 
And so this is, it's, it's a little bit better of a guideline. So like if you put a lot of this in to your encounter builder, most likely it'll say deadly mm-hmm. or, or very up on the high end of hard. Uh, almost, <laughs> almost every single encounter that I built uh, for my last campaign or my last two campaigns, once the characters were past level you know, six to eight said deadly. Yeah. <laughs> same that's, that's what I'm and, running into every single time. Uh, most of them are not deadly. So that's why, that's why this is, um, that's why this is kind of a, a nice little cheat sheet to have. Again, it's not perfect, uh, but it, I think is a little bit more accurate, especially once you pass fifth level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds about right. I mean, you threw a whole bunch of numbers out there, but um, well, again, have a link or a picture or something on the website so you can kind of take a look to see what the, the everything's all about on this. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, <laughs> there will be <laughs> there will be a reference sheet to, <laughs> to all those numbers that I just uh, threw out. Yeah, um, I appreciate that because I heard numbers and I kind of followed along and then you started with second level. I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> nah, just kidding. Um, but yeah, when, once you kind of have your, your idea for a, a the balance uh, taken care of, it's it's an important thing because, um, again, you need to figure out who's playing, what kind of balance you have. And on top of that, too, you don't need a balanced encounter for their first encounter. You can have something that the, the players will be able to kind of blow through. Part of that depends on, you know, if you want them to have a long rest, if you want them to just have like kind of a taste of combat before they get into something bigger. And is this an intro adventure exactly. for newer players or is this an adventure that is made for hardened veterans? Yeah. Do you want do you want your tacticians to, you know, use every resource and, and barely eke by? Or do you want these level 10 characters to go up against a group of bandits who stumbled upon their camp thinking they were easy marks? You know, it's 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 kind of one of those situations. You are able to control what happens, obviously. And if it turns out that the tuning is off when you're running it, hey you can totally do what you do on the fly every time you DM any other game and just kind of, you know, go with it. Excuse me, go with it as you will. Yeah. And then once you have all those pieces and you've filled out your flavor text, uh, as much as you want, uh, if you're running this just for yourself, it might just be notes, right? It might just be little snippets of notes, uh, in each section. If you're wanting to turn this into, say, a published adventure that you're going to share with people, most likely you will have more detail, more stuff filled out um, and more uh, tie ins to give advice to the DM for each section. So write, you know, write depending on depending on your audience. If your audience is yourself, like for me, um, at some point, I would love to make a, a detailed version of my one shot that I've ran a bunch. But right now, it's just basically little sections of notes for each of the, the, the pieces that we've talked about today. Um, so figure out what you want to do there and then, and you know, how much how much custom stuff you want to do. Then put it all together and play test it. Right. There's there's. The only the only way you can be sure if something is fun is to actually go through it. Some exactly. of the best ideas in your head may not hold up to to actual play or actual players. 
there are some things that you uh, might have thought was a, an afterthought players may latch on to during the play session. You may go, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll flesh that out more or that NPC or that encounter or that location or landmark. Um, so that's 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 really the best way to do it is play test. And if you can play test multiple times, play test with multiple groups. Uh, that's that's the best way to then refine what you're doing. And then if you have ambitions for it, publish it, publish it on the DMs Guild, publish it on your website. Um, we'll have uh, we'll talk about something here in a little bit in our uh, community notes that can help do that very thing. In fact, if you look way, way back uh, in our podcast, uh, our interview with Justice Arvin, uh, he talks about publishing on the DMs Guild. In fact, he gives, uh, he wrote a very good article about it, uh, most of which is still very relevant, uh, if that's your ambitions. So, uh, then I don't know. We can we can maybe look up the episode and give a give a uh, a link in the actual show notes unless you've looked it up. I haven't. Well, I've been talking. We'll have it in the show notes regardless uh, which episode that is. Uh, but it is uh, it's our interview with him. It's a it's a fantastic episode. He's uh, he's wonderful. He's actually a designer um, at D&D at Wizards now um and he's doing some absolutely amazing work you can check out um uh radiant citadel has some of his somewhat recent work in it as well uh if you want to play one of the adventures uh that was written by him as well as he has a lot of uh older dm skilled stuff that he made so uh i i'd say that's a that's a really good uh that's a really good avenue if you want to, you know, take the next step. Uh, that's that's kind of uh, most Episode of the tips and tricks. 30. Episode 30. Thank you, Ben. You bet. Uh, that's most of the the um, that's that's kind of uh, our way that we make one shots when we do. Um, ben, did you have anything more you wanted to to add uh, before we, we jumped over? Not really. Um, I mean, between the two of us, I think we've covered pretty much our, our entire process anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, just, uh, I haven't done anything where I've actually, you know, recorded what the one shot is and, you know, run it multiple times, but I've made a few one shots and I mean, I played in some of your one shots. Yes. Yes, you did. It was, I had a lot of fun with that. And talk about reskinned monsters. Uh, that was a Hydra that was, uh, Oh, not a Hydra, a, um, uh, Kraken that was reskinned into the great pumpkin. So, you know, lots of we fun. Did, yeah, if, if those who have been listening for a while may remember Ben talking about his uh, <laughs> Halloween one shot that was Charlie Brown themed. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. Um, but, and, and again, what we said is not necessarily a definitive way to make oh, one shots not. either. There's, there's so many ways you could do it, but this is a way we found uh, that has worked well for us um and that we can say we've done and we've tried and we feel comfortable uh putting out there if you're looking to develop your own so uh let us know let us know if you've made a one shot let us know uh your tips and tricks for 
designing adventures or making one shots. We'd love to hear them. Okay. Uh, Moving on from that, uh, Ben, we had a request to talk about furbolgs. Yeah, furbolgs are super interesting. I would say, in in some ways, almost made popular, uh, or at least uh, there was a lot more exposure to them uh, from Critical Role Campaign Two mm-hmm. yep. with Caduceus Clay, um, kind of uh, one of the. I guess more prominent furbolgs in uh D&D actual play uh or that people might have been exposed to. So, uh why don't you kick us off? Why don't you tell us about furbolgs and what makes them interesting and cool? Oh my gosh. So one of the neat things about them is that uh well first of all, you can find the newest edition of them in uh Mordenkind's Monsters of the Multiverse. They have the updated furbolg as your playable race there. So if you're looking for it on D&D Beyond, it's not in the defaults, that is why. Um, now the thing is, is like, they're actually really magically tied to nature. They're descended from giants. So, you know, they're a little bit bigger than normal. Um, but because of their, their just like attunement with nature and everything, they get some pretty cool things just right off the bat as a player character. So first of all, you can use detect magic and disguise self like once per long rest, which, you know, that's free. That's great. That's awesome. Um, another one is, I think it's called like hidden step or something like that, but basically you're able to turn yourself invisible until the beginning of your next turn, which that is always pretty great whenever you're in combat and fun stuff like that. But on top of that, my favorite part of this is that no matter what class you choose, no matter what you plan on doing as a furbolg, you can speak to plants and animals and they understand you. You don't understand them but they understand you. And I think that is just so much fun adds a ton of different stuff that you can do just role play wise to just, you know, give yourself some flavor. But on top of that too, I mean, we've seen examples of Caduceus. We've seen Pumatzol. Uh, we've seen, and I, I feel absolutely horrible, but I forget the, uh, the guest star who she played a furball as well, but they were like, you know, uh, Suna, uh, or, um, I don't want to butcher it. I know who you're talking about. Though. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, she, she, she played, she played the Furbolg uh, when Caduceus was introduced. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was absolutely great. Um, the character was, was uh, Nyla, I believe, but yeah, I forget the actress who played. Yes, her. Yes. I'm so sorry. Um, but anyways, so, I mean, they, all of them, they, they played them as, uh, you know, kind of just characters who are very in tune with nature. They were, uh, you know, just gentle giants and, you know, they all had, and again, you don't have to play your furball this way, but the, the kind of representation that they're, they're going with was that, you know, they're kind of slow. They're, they're thought provoking. They're, they're, you know, just kind of there in the moment. And I just love the portrayal that they had on critical role. But on top of that too, they're just really neat in D and D because of that, you know, having anything that's kind of directly tied with nature makes them perfect for like being especially a druid, some sort of ranger, or, you know, if you want to go with like the Caduceus route, a grave cleric was perfect because the whole cycle of life and death fit perfectly well with the idea of being in tune with nature because life and death is all part of the natural order with everything. Yeah, it's, it's a very flavorful race. Very, mm-hmm. very flavorful race. Um, and uh, honestly, uh, 
we can point to the Caduceus character, right? Uh, fits well with clerics. Fit well with clerics. Fit, fit very well with druids. In fact, uh, one of my previous campaigns, uh, one of the uh, players played a furbolg druid uh, and used the speak with nature a lot the between plants and birds and stuff and it added so much to the game it was super super fun um because it opens opens things that uh you wouldn't necessarily get to see as much with the speech of uh, beast and leaf mm-hmm. exactly uh, they they don't have any ability to you don't have any ability to necessarily understand them in return but one of the ways i played it was uh i let him do roles to kind of get an impression right mm-hmm. of hey uh bird could you scout for us and come back uh and let us know if something's going on right uh get a persuasion check and you get advantage on the charisma checks you make to influence them, which is super cool. Uh, and also I kind of use that to allow him to gauge uh, kind of like the impression the idea of if they under, if they were willing to help and they understood um, or, or that sort of thing. So I think uh, it's a very fun thing for the DM that you can play with and, and mess with if you have a, a furbolg player. Mm-hmm. And on top of that too, one of the neat things is that furbolgs can live up to about 500 years. So you can play any sort of like age group in this, you know, whether it's a, a doting old man who's been around for a few centuries or, you know, just a, a young buck who she's out there ready to kind of prove herself to her family. Um, but there, there's so much that you can do just with a lifespan like that, you know, you could have an entire life where you were a farmer until you got tired of doing that. And then you decided to start adventuring. So you could be 150 years old and just thought, eh, maybe it's time to go for a walkabout, you know, been doing this or for a while. Or you were forced to adventure. I mean, there's that too. I mean, you never know what's going to happen, but you know, because of that, if you work with your DM, you can also have like ties to different npcs or places that are around the world uh just because you've been you know very well lived and and and, uh um, just around so it opens up a lot of doors and possibilities with that much less Mm -hmm. just being just so entwined with nature as well i mean that you could have been around and seen a city grow from a village to a city because you've been around for so long you know you could be like a guardian of the forest or something who you know, was misunderstood. They, you know, there's just stories of you as a ghost, but you actually helped develop the city. That could be something kind of cool to begin with. I actually might pull that as a, an NPC for something. Cause I kind of like that idea now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just really quick. So Nyla was played by a uh, Somali Montano. Okay. So I was able to find Perfect. that. I want to give her, her due respect. Cause she just blew that oh, character away. It was so a wonderful job. Wonderful job. I like her, wonderful her stink job. bag. That was so good. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, it was, it was a very fun uh, campaign to arc. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, furbolgs, they're, they're gentle giants. Uh, they, when they're lifting stuff, they are count as one size larger than they are. I mean, what, what can you say about them other than just they're pretty cool and generally kind of kind hearted leaning, but that doesn't mean you have to be. That's right. That's right. And if any of that sounded interesting, maybe consider making a verbal 
Yeah. For your next character. I kind of want to. Yeah. There's a lot of flavor there. A lot of flavor there that you could you could do with. Definitely. Okay. So before we kind of wrap up a little bit, we got a few more talking points to hit on. Uh, two of them involve D&D Beyond. The first one is rather big time and something that uh, while not necessarily surprising, it was kind of surprising, <laughs> kind of surprising uh, in, in its own way. Uh, so the first thing is that the critical role Darrington Press published Tal'Dorei Reborn campaign setting is now officially on D&D Beyond. What? Now this is this is a big deal. Um not only because it's actually a very well-done campaign setting that has a ton of stuff and that pairs super well with um the Wild Mount campaign setting that was officially published by Wizards or called the Nether Deep which uh was also officially published by Wizards. So uh now you have three, <laughs> three uh, critical role kind of setting slash adventure books on D&D Beyond. But it is the very first third party book to go up on D&D Beyond. Now, they've talked about this. We, we heard uh, news at the summit that this was something they wanted to do. Um, I did not think we would see this until post the 2024 reworks of of the books and potentially who knows uh what kind of updates they might do to the the website um at that point and and whatnot but uh in, in it it makes sense because wizards and and dnd beyond have a very strong relationship with critical role and and darrington press by extension uh, obviously, Matt has has done stuff. They have been sponsored by D&D Beyond for many years. And uh, Critical Role, people have done two books, mm -hmm. uh, two official books with Wizards. So from a partner standpoint, uh, for this to be the very first piece of third-party content on the site, it makes a lot of sense. It's a very strong existing relationship there already mm -hmm. with some official Definitely. content from the same group already there however i this does feel like it could be the beginning of the the floodgates this this does seem to indicate that wizards is reaching out to these third-party publishers darrington press being the first to actually materialize uh to potentially get their content and they've got new filters and um and such uh and enabling disabling of content on the site too. Uh, the book is actually even labeled third party um, on its, on its labeling inside D and D beyond. So I feel like this could potentially be the floodgates, the beginning of uh, the era of, Oh, maybe uh, we will start seeing deals set up with Cobalt press with 2C gaming, with Ghostfire gaming, with MCDM, uh, where whatever terms and deals they set up in the background, they will start potentially making that 
uh, extremely high quality third party content available on D D beyond to use with their tools, their character builder and such, because Tal'Dorei reborn comes with nine new subclasses. Yes. Or at least new to, to anybody who hasn't, uh, and they're, they're, they're very good and they're very interesting. And, um, anybody who is playing a, uh, Exandria campaign, uh, and had a whole continent <laughs> worth of stuff and subclasses and magic items and monsters that was kind of separated from their online repertoire. Now that has been all pulled together into one spot that is easily accessible. Their players now, instead of having to potentially build out a custom subclass with their homebrew tools, now those are officially in, they work super well, uh, and they're fully integrated and people can just make those now. Um, and just give players more choice, I think is an incredibly good thing. And as long as they, uh, do well with their filtering options, potentially filtering by publisher and then even more granularly by source book and such. Uh, when you're creating a campaign for allowing what your players will have access to, I think they could be on to something very strong. And as I, uh, we've mentioned many times, uh, steam for D and D right. Mm-hmm. Um, having that nice, uh, that really good front end and all the tools and then putting this super cool content that these creators have done into players' hands, many of which uh, may not have ever heard of it before. Because D&D Beyond, for, uh, for better or for worse, it is the steam of tabletop RPGs. Like you have Demiplane, uh, which is pulling in, starting to pull in some stuff, starting to make character creator uh, things for other systems, which I think is phenomenal and wonderful. And I'm glad that they're doing it. But from a D&D standpoint, D&D Beyond is obviously king. You know, 10, 15, 20 million users. I don't know what the, the numbers are uh, specifically at this point anymore, but it is it is a massive audience. And this is a this is a would be a huge get for any third party to be able to access that many users, especially uh, if there is a fairly reasonable term deal between them and wizards. So I think just the idea of opening D&D Beyond to third parties or at least you know, verified third parties, we don't necessarily want every single thing that gets published in the DMs Guild on D&D Beyond. Yeah, we don't want that I'm much sh- of it to be Steam. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that it, you, you've got to do some curation. Uh, you've got to have some standards. And I mean, it makes sense to start with the big ones, start with the ones you have relationships with already, and then, you know, go down from there. But um, having this possibility, especially if they start expanding, I think is huge for D&D as a whole because that will not only let players get access to more uh, very high quality D&D content, it will also encourage these publishers to make more D&D content because all of a sudden they have potentially a much larger digital audience reach than they had 
could ever have had before. Um, and eyes on an ability to to purchase their stuff. So I think it's a very win win in both directions, both for wizards um, to get the content on and get a cut of that, uh, but also for the third parties to open up their audience to a much broader, much larger uh, subsection of people, and then allow them to use their content in a much uh, like a, a well done way from an interface perspective and spell slots and classes and subclasses and all, all that sort of fun stuff. So like I said, it's, we haven't heard anything official other than Tadari reborn is on and it's the first third party, but mm-hmm. I'm very hopeful at the potential. It's a bright pathway to the future. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on that, Ben? And do you know, you, you think you covered it? <laughs> Like I, I, we've talked, we both talked about this at length. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, and this is very exciting to both of us. Like this is like, I want my Kobold press books on D and D beyond. Uh, like I want the, like that, um, Tome of heroes. Uh, I want my two C gaming monster books on that. I want the, the freaking MCDM classes on D and D beyond. Yeah, I want the new monster book flea mortals on D and D beyond. It would like, benefit greatly both parties. A lot of it's out there already. Yeah. It'd be huge. It'd be huge. Yeah. I'm so really, we'll, really, we'll keep an eye on it uh, really quick before we move on to the rest of the community page. I'm sorry, before when you're talking about, were you talking about a or justice for the episode? Because for some reason I heard justice and I looked up that episode, but you were talking about a weren't you? No, I was talking about justice. Oh, then yeah, never mind. Episode thirty. I was talking about justice. Uh, but yeah, uh, but if you're talking about Radiant Citadel, which I know that did come up, that was episode seventy. So just throwing both yes. of them out there. We're also, good. another good one that I highly recommend. <laughs> yes, listening to. Uh, he was an absolutely wonderful person to have a conversation with. If you want to dive deeper into Radiant Citadel, uh, that was super super fun. Oh, sorry, episode seventy one. So yeah, so check out episode thirty and seventy one specifically. That's what we're going to say. That's your homework for this week. <laughs> uh, also on D&D Beyond, uh, in honor of Baldur's Gate 3, D&D Beyond has actually released the Baldur's Gate Gazetteer as a free piece of content that you can uh, claim and read. This is not necessarily new content. This is actually a large chunk of the book uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. But it is super cool because, it, like I said, it is a very meaty chunk of content that talks all about Baldur's Gate and the factions and all about the city um, and all about the organizations uh, and the layout and everything that you could possibly want to know about Baldur's Gate. So if you are have been inspired by Baldur's Gate 3 um, or you're planning on running a campaign there, or you want to run a campaign there. Uh, this is a freebie that you can just grab. You don't have to own descent into Avernus. Uh, you can just grab this and we'll have the link to that in the show notes at deandiscussions.com. Yep. Free is always good, especially when it comes to D and D beyond. Free is great. Um, and then finally, uh, I need to shout out. I, I think we've talked about this, uh, at least once before, but I want to shout out, 
the Simple 5e Microsoft Word Template and Beginner's Guide. Uh, we're talking about creating one-shots, right? Uh, if you're wanting to make it a little more organized, a little more professional, or do it in the style of an actual D&D adventure, this Word template is absolutely phenomenal and comes with everything you need to organize it and lay it out in a very uh, professional-looking uh, legitimate looking uh, package, essentially. This is by uh, um, Laura Hinsburner, and uh, it's it's phenomenal. We'll have a link to this in the show notes. Uh, if you want to go, it's five bucks. It's uh, very much worth getting if you're planning on making your own adventures, and especially if you're planning on publishing them. Yeah. That's really cool. I don't think we've actually talked about it before, so it's uh, it's it's new to me at least. Unless I wasn't paying attention the previous time you spoke about it. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great resource, and I figured I throw it in here again uh, because we were talking about one shots, and this is a yeah. great way to to lay them out. No, good way to do it. Yep. Well, I think with that, that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, thank you everybody so much for listening. Um, and of course, before we go, uh, we usually take a few minutes to talk about, uh, what has been going on in our games. Uh, obviously Ryan, for those I who have been you listening, should start, you should talk yeah. about your games because <laughs> I know exciting stuff has been happening. Yep. Nothing. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, as, as if you've been listening, uh, uh, you will, you'll probably know that, um, I'm currently on hiatus from DMing. I'm taking a little break after having DM'd basically two campaigns for the last like four to six years. Um, it's was a wonderful experience. I have so many fond memories and I'm taking a break, <laughs> recharging the old creative batteries I've got ideas that are swimming around like an illithid tadpole in the back of my head. Uh, but as of right now, um, I am, I'm on break for a little bit. Uh, so not, uh, going to have a whole lot to report at least for a little bit. Um, but Ben, I know you do. Yes. So, um, last we left off, my party was infiltrating this, uh, uh fortress in the nine hells trying to get, a, uh, the artifact for our sorcerer. And, uh, there's a tie to, uh, Matilda, the, the magic shopkeeper that they absolutely loved, um, where her wife actually used to have this artifact unknowingly. Um, and when, you know, her, in, in her past, her whole party was defeated by this pit pit fiend and he grabbed the, the artifact, took it with him as a prize. And so she wanted to get revenge and, uh, they wanted the artifact. So, you know, kismet worked out. So they infiltrated this fortress and they did a fantastic job of not alerting any guards. They're sneaking around. They did it, it, it just this amazing, like bypass most of the security and everything like this. So I'm like, great. You know, I love it when my characters are able to do this. We don't have to have just long drawn outs of combat after combat, after combat, after combat and everything. So, you know, I enjoy this. They're very clever in what they're doing. So we get to the end. Uh, you know, they're going through the different rooms and then they find out the room where the, you know, the, the pit fiend is, he's like in his office, he's, he's, you know, kind of doing his own thing and everything. So our, our rogue sends her, her familiar disguised as a spider 
and squeezes underneath the door, kind of sees what's going on and everything. Like, okay, cool. Pops back out. And then they make the absolute craziest awesome plan so that when they start combat, they're not going to pull in the Afridi that's in the other room that they bypassed, the beholder that's in the room pat like past them as well as anything else that, you know, they, they didn't aggro yet. So I'm like, okay, what are you guys going to do? And the bard has this idea of like, Hey, I'm going to put the door to my magnificent mansion right in front of the door to that office. Going to make the inside look like this room that we're in, but you know, like real flimsy walls and everything. And then the rest of the area is just going to be, you know, uh, just a plain floor with rocks and, you know, uh, rocky outcroppings and everything. So we can like take cover behind and everything if we need to. So I'm like, this is an awesome idea. We're going to see how this works out. That is super cool. Yeah. Very so creative. Very she, creative. She, uh, you know, cast the mansion, had the door right by the door. We had Matilda go in because this guy's been hunting her this entire time because she banished him to the hell to the nine hells. And so like, she's always wearing like, you know, anti scrying, uh, magic items. And like, basically her whole build up until this point was like escape, flee, hide everything along those lines. So she's finally confronting this guy. So she cracks off a spell at him, runs into the mansion. And because the bards, you know, they get to choose or the caster gets to choose who has access to the mansion, or not Pitfiend's part of the list runs inside, close the door, start attacking it's completely silent outside so of course all of the other monsters and everything like that hear nothing they don't even know any of this is going on and we're like oh my gosh this is great they, they knock down the inner walls of the fake room see all this other stuff there's doors all over the the outer wall so like he if he wanted to leave he wouldn't know which door to go in so you know kind of tricked him that way and i'm like this is such a great idea. We need to do this. We need to reward it. And it was awesome. They were fighting and everything. And then the killing blow happens. He He's down. He would be rolling death saves on the ground. And they're like, oh, wait, this is another plane. If he doesn't die in the nine hells, he doesn't die. So... Yeah, we'll just go back and so see the bard did a, a quick weeks. healing word on him, gave him like four hit points. They kicked him out the real door, then killed him again, <laughs> thus completely killing him in the nine hells. And it was just amazing. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was wow. great. It was so much fun. I'm just like, you guys bypassed all this other stuff that like I had built into the encounter of like two stone statues that were going to come to life and come in and help. And then since they didn't encounter the Afridi, I'm like, he's going to hear this and he's going to come in and like turn three or four or something. But no, they bypassed everything. You, like the fight was so much easier because of it. Like they still got hurt pretty bad. Cause it's, it's a, you know, CR 20 pit bean. They're like level 13, yeah. or 14. So. AKA then, the <laughs> plus, <laughs> Plus six in this case. <laughs> exactly. This case. So, so deadly, if you want to put it that way. So then um, they end up finding that there's a like this spot on the wall that's like burnt and everything. And um, turns out that this is a door to another plane where he's keeping this 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 pendant. So they go in and it's being held like basically he's trying to corrupt it with magic. So like these dark energy beams are kind of going at it and everything. And they they end up getting it out of there. Sorcerer picks it up, has a flash, 
and meets Denier, the like the, the the god of scholars or whatever. And he talks to to the sorcerer for a little bit. They kind of answer some questions of like, why me? Because you know he's never been a, a religious type and everything like that. And so you know, kind of uh, cluing them in on, oh hey, here's the big overarching story of what's actually going on and why these artifacts are starting to call out to people again and everything. And so they kind of got clued into that of like, hey, this whole you know barrier that stops the gods from coming to your world. Well, it was cracked open when this demigod broke through way before in act one and it's breaking. And this is how you need to, you need to find more artifacts. You need to use their power to, you know, reestablish this, this, this barrier and all this stuff. So they, they've gotten their like grand arc three quest. So they kind of know what's going on with it now. And then after that, they planescaped out of there and, uh, that that's where we ended. Wow, how epic. What a cool creative workaround. Yeah, I was I was like floored by that. I'm like that's such a good idea. Oh my gosh, this is great. So, yeah, yeah you know, I I I bragged about my group so many times and telling you how clever they are with different things and how they're able to bypass so much stuff. And it just goes to to show yet again they're a very smart group and I am so happy that they're there to keep me on my toes all the time. It's, it's great. I have a lot of fun with them. Yeah. That's, that's phenomenal. That's yeah. Phenomenal. So, uh, yeah, we play again on Saturday and I have no direction whatsoever and what they're going to do or where they're going to go. So, um, I'm basically just going to pull up a whole bunch of information. We're going to see what happens from there. Sounds yeah. good. It's been Man, fun. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. Oh Yeah. Oh, we got uh, we got artifact hunting going on. It's a it's a good it's a fun uh, it's a fun arc to be in. I think so, and considering yeah. they know that there's another group out there who's kind of you know collecting the evil gods artifacts, so who knows what might happen with that? Yeah, that's that's super exciting, super exciting. All right, well, I think that. Now brings us to the end. Again, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, we love doing this show. If you have any ideas or any wants for topics for us to talk about, make sure that you send them in to us. And speaking of that, Ben, why don't you tell people where they can do that? Of course. Um, the best place to, to uh, send us a nice long form email, tell us about things that are going on in your campaign, which uh, we do read. We don't exactly answer back right away because we are busy with life sometimes, uh, but we will get back to you either on the show or in written format. You can send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Uh, if you're looking for us on social media, though, for something that's, uh, you know, maybe a little bit shorter form, uh, you can find us on Blue Sky. Uh, that is at dndiscussions dots, whatever the whole Blue Sky dot social is, uh, as well as at tbkzord and at Ben Bumhofer. Um, if you like this episode and you want to listen to more, like, say, specifically episodes 30 or 71, uh, you can find those on dndiscussions.com as well as on your podcast player of choice. I highly recommend those episodes as well as a lot of the old ones. Um, believe it or not, I'm a fan of the show, so uh, I think everybody should listen to it. What can I say? Um, Dungeons and Dragons specifically, though, if you want to hear me playing, you can listen to Rhyme of the, or Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. You can listen to Plus 5 to Hit. We're currently going through Rhyme of the Frostmaiden right now. Um, again, my character continues to make bad decisions because his sister's not there. So uh, we want you back soon, Sam. That's all I'm going to say, Ryan. Anyways, uh, 
take a listen to that. We love playing and we love uh, anybody who listens along. Uh, and with that, I got to say, Ryan, it has been an absolute pleasure. I know that uh, we want to get back to playing Baldur's Gate 3, so I will make this closing brief. Thank you very much for everybody joining us this episode of DN Discussions. I had a blast. It's always fun. And until next time, may your roles be well and be good to each other. May your roles be well. May your roles be good. I don't know. What's the, the best grammar there? You're on mute, so I can't hear you. May your roles be grand. Hey, there we go. May your roles be grand and be good to each other. <laughs> Take care, and we'll see you next time.